Hello, and welcome to the last episode of this season of I Think I Did for a Year, a podcast where we've talked to University of Toronto students about their year away from school. My name is Ilya, and today Arkady and I will be talking about a lot of the things that we've learned over the last year, uh, about kind of the origins of the podcast and where we're going from here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a bit sad that it's uh, coming to an end, mm. but I'm feeling in general very, very happy with what we've accomplished. I think we've gotten to share was like 26 different stories of people's POI experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think from people that we've heard from, it's been it's been valuable. So I'm, I'm happy with that. And it's bittersweet. Maybe the true podcast is the friends we've made along <laughs> the way. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's, it's kind of a time of last, right? Like, I had my last undergrad lecture yesterday, and mm-hmm. I wasn't like, oh, this is the last one, fanfare. It's just like, yeah, and then you end this one, and then you leave. Yeah. Um, so this this kind of feels the same way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you're aware that it's the last one, but in a way, it feels like all the other ones. Right. Yeah. Um, what made, because this was originally your idea, um, what made you want to get started with it? Right. So... I've shared this a bunch of times, like quite a lot of people have asked, but I really, it was just about when I was coming back from my PUI, um, I was talking, I was having a lot of conversations with different people, uh, mostly my friends as I was preparing to come back and preparing to start from school. And like every single thing, like every single first conversation that you have with someone when you're coming back from PUI is always, how was your PUI? What did you do? Or not what did you do, but like, how was it? Mm -hmm. What did you learn? Whatever. And you have all these long conversations, very interesting conversations. And I just found that it was Everyone, everyone I know who went came back somehow sort of different, somehow somewhat like more... People grew. Yeah, grew and had all sorts of different like epiphanies that they maybe didn't fully articulate. But uh, I, I, I think I just wanted to hear more of those. And I was thinking about a bunch of different ways. At one point, I was thinking about making a Facebook group where it would be like the like that like intro welcome to U of T Facebook group that everyone would post like embarrassing stuff in and like one of those kinds of things. And I was thinking what would be sort of the best way to promote more of that conversation because because I think it would be a thing. I Like I enjoyed hearing about it from a lot of people and I think a lot of people enjoyed that. So I was thinking for a, fa- for a Facebook group, but uh, it was a little too cringy, I guess. I didn't really <laughs> want to go for it. Because nobody enjoyed posting in those intros. Yeah, it was, it was kind of out of necessity in some yeah. weird way. Um, and, I mean, I hear the kids use Instagram now anyways, mm-hmm. even for that. Um, so and, the kids tell us. And so, yeah, so I didn't want to do that. I was thinking maybe try to organize some sort of, like, event or, like, get-together mm-hmm. thing like that early in the year. But um, I figured it would be quite difficult to do that independently. And But at the same time, if I did it through the school, it would be people would be a little bit more reluctant to go to something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in general, people are very, when, like, everyone has, a, for example, course evaluations. Everyone has a lot of a lot of things to say about a lot of courses. Mm-hmm. But when the school asks, I need to be begged, like, 20 times to do it. Right. And that's true for everyone, and the completion rates for those are still, I think, pretty abysmal. Mm-hmm. Even when, but when you talk to your friends, like, that's literally all you talk oh, about is... opinions in exactly. capitals. So, yeah. so I felt like... There's that. There was that element of it where people are much, much more willing to share their experiences about their work, about their school, all of that with people when it's perceived more like friends as opposed to the school coming and asking you for it. Right. Um, but at the same time, 
putting it in sort of like a podcast format is a thing that the school can listen to. And from what I've heard, they, some of them have listened to, and I think it's very valuable for them. Likewise, I mean, a similar thing for course evaluations would probably be really useful. <laughs> like if there were students just talking about courses. It just, it's really, it would have to be pretty powerfully censored, I think, in a lot of cases. Like right. in the cases where it would be useful, you'd really have to clamp down on it. Maybe, maybe, but... Um, no, but, but yeah. I, I see your point. So that, so that, that was that was kind of the general idea. And I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts I for, have for several years, and I still do. And I, so I'd like dabbled in making a podcast once before with a friend, mm-hmm. um, and that was a while ago. Kind of got tired of it, but I enjoyed doing so. And I found in general, I'm really what I like about the medium is that it's very very low startup cost. It's very like we have. It, it was something that we were able to get off the ground independently, not needing to like ask for any permission or get any funding or really anything, just something that we can just start and put out there. And then it takes some work to, to really get it out there. But um, yeah, so, so that was, that was kind of what drew me to wanting to do a podcast about this. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I found a good partner to do it with. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like to, to speak to my end of things, like when my family was out of country, um, in late August, and then I get a message from Arcadi. It was like fully formed. It was like, "Yo, you want to do a podcast about PY?" I was like, "Okay, that's that's interesting. My my year is full." Um, and then you know, asked, "Okay, well, like, what would we talk to people about?" And Arcadi was like, "No, no, no, not we, you." Um, and and I, was, I was like, "All right, like, do you what? Do you want to just handle the production side of things?" And he goes, "Yeah." Uh, I I was like, "Okay," because that sounds like the hard part. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like was seemed like complimentary skill sets. So we were both like, cool down, let's do it. Um, we got back and this was the Thursday, uh, the Thursday before Frost Week. So like, you know, like, like, like very late August. Um, and like we got together in a cafe because that's where pretentious creative things happen. Um, and we just kind of like hashed out like roughly what it would be like, um, ordered the mics on the spot. Um, and they came in the next day. Um, and then, like, we we set up uh, our first episodes with Muhammad and Anna. Um, so I set up with Muhammad because he's a close friend of mine. And Arkady set up with Anna because uh, he knew she had a cool story to share. Um, and then we... And then just, like, like Frost Week happened. And I remember, like, coming into the Wednesday morning, like, waking up, still sleep-deprived. And my voice was just gone. Like, yeah. like I mean, I, I sounded like this if you... If you listen to episode one, it's mostly like this. So, so, and we were thinking like, like, do we cancel it? Do we? Because it's not like we didn't have any idea what we were doing on top of the fact that I sounded like like Batman after a cigarette. Um, and um, but we kind of like did it anyway. And I mean, I think all of this is speaking to the fact that we we were able to kind of like like put out something that people enjoyed and people you know found value in pretty immediately without. A huge amount of preparation and with with like pretty minimal resources mm-hmm. like we i mean we do these mostly in gerstein like for the most part we will book a room in gerstein and just set up some mics and talk um yeah i don't know what what was the, what was like the level of technical preparation that you needed to like make a podcast that people can listen to all over the place right um i mean because actually so when i had like sort of dabbled earlier it was mostly my friend actually who was doing the production side if you call it that um and so i actually didn't really know too too much about any kind of audio editing or any of that stuff i that said i don't think i really it was nearly too too necessary i didn't 
I think it probably would be worthwhile just to share kind of what the actual back end of the process looks like. Yeah, in what, terms what of, is the production side? Right. So, so we record an episode um, in Audacity, uh, which is a free audio editing tool. We then cut out. Uh, I mostly like it's it's evolved over time, but I think I mostly now just cut out. Um, some occasional bits of people ask to remove stuff or like someone stumbling a little bit, but I don't do too, too much touching up like that. Um, we used to some, or some, for some of the episodes we added in a break, I like splice in the, um, the intro music, which Sean gave to us, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of mostly it. I, I, I then sort of, I like level out the, the audio a little bit where like some of the times when people laugh really loudly or like, speak speak very loudly for a minute i have to like level that out so that i can make the whole thing sound like more smooth mm -hmm. but so i haven't found like an abrupt gunshot type sound right and so that's kind of those are kind of the main things though and it's it's more about the thing that's like evolved the most over the process has been on the audio side has been like how we actually set up the microphones and stuff like that as in so when we started out over the first maybe four or five episodes we just had these uh, snowball microphones that you put on the table. So they're just um, like little spherical things. Yeah, and they had like a little stand that they would sit on the table like that. And so I would put two of them down on the table next to one another, one pointed at Ilya and one pointed at the, the person being interviewed, and use that. And then over time, we added a microphone stand, which was a really good investment, um, which let us bring the microphone a lot closer to the people speaking's mouths. Um, and that really like was the biggest thing that got rid of a lot of echoing and stuff. Um, otherwise, it's mostly about the sort of constraints of like the Gerstein rooms and stuff, and about removing stuff from people's hands that they might be tempted to fiddle with and and things like that. But um, what about the hosting side of things? Because I feel right. like it's it's kind of like black magic as to how you take an audio file and you turn it into something that people can find on Spotify, on iTunes, on like any podcast app like what's that yeah side of it? it's actually it's actually it's gotten a lot simpler over time as podcasts have become more sort of mainstream but like now there are a whole bunch of services like i can name a few like podbean and a few others but we use one called simplecast which i like dug around a little bit and found um i think i had heard some other podcast that i listened to mention that they use it or something like that um so that's the thing where you can literally do exactly that as in you upload an audio file upload the show notes, title, description, um, and it then can broadcast it out to, you have to register, I think, for Spotify and Apple, but everywhere else, like, you can just, it just gets broadcast out once you upload to Simplecast, and they kind of handle all the distribution and stuff. Um, so it's relatively simple. Like, it's it took, it took very little to actually get it sort of registered and listed there. Um, we pay some, like, yearly fee for hosting, um, and Remember how much it is, roughly? Something about $100 a year, um, roughly that. Um, so all in all, I guess the costs of that, our total costs for the whole year, which is really just microphones, uh, microphone stands and equipment, and, um, Simplecast. and Simplecast is about three $400 for, for the year. I think it's like 300 something like Something like that, which compared to like many, many clubs on campus or whatever, that's like, it's, it's, it's nothing. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, so that's, that's, that's the general process. Then, so we, we had PY money to splash, right? Yeah. yeah. Hashtag PY money. <laughs> um, but after that, yeah. And then after that, once we, once we 
upload the episode. Um, you can like schedule it to release. So we schedule it to release like every Monday morning. Um, I usually produce it Sunday <laughs> just before going to bed. Um, but, and then, and then we make a bunch of Facebook posts, Instagram posts and, um, try to get it out there. But that's kind of the biggest, uh, that's probably the biggest area that I feel like I don't really know as much about and could have done more on maybe is the, um, distribution side. I, and like marketing in general, it's kind of a black hole in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's sort of a thing I could sink infinite time into to, to do more of it. Like I could be putting posters on campus. I could be doing all that stuff, but it just yeah. becomes very time consuming. It's uh, honestly, I think like both of us were much more interested in making it into like a, a good product. We wanted to make it something that we're proud of, something that we'd be excited to ask people to listen to rather than make it, you know, something where we put a lot of time into blasting it out everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, the vast majority of our marketing was just like Facebook page, putting it on the Facebook page and then sharing it like to the school page. And, and like talking to people, I guess. In real yeah, life. And, yeah. And it spreads through word of mouth over time. Um, before I, I think like there's a lot of other like podcast related things that we can get into. Um, but if any of this sounds interesting to you, um, both Arkady and I are pending no gigantic academic fuck ups, uh, graduating. So we, we won't be continuing to do that thing I did for a year as a podcast. Like next year, it doesn't really make sense for us to be coming back and talking to people, um, when we are not students ourselves. Um, we do think that, and we've gotten a ton of feedback that says that this has been really valuable to people and that like they love to see the podcast carry on to next year. Um, because ultimately the point of the podcast has been about sharing stories uh, mm-hmm. and about kind of like being an outlet for everybody to see both what is possible and like what their classmates have done. Um, it's just like the crux of it is like people around us do amazing shit. Um, so we are looking for people to hand the podcast off to. Um, we're going like there's going to be a form going up with this episode. It's going to be in the episode description and it's going to be on our Facebook page. So if you're interested, uh, fill out the form, message us. Uh, we'd love to see this like mantle taken on and like this podcast continue next year because you know we know the people who are currently on PY are going to have amazing things to share. So um, take a look at the form uh, if you're interested, and yeah, I guess let's get back to talking about mm-hmm. it. So with with respect to the actual like running of the podcast i think like the like the guests are like ultimately what makes it right because as much as it is you know like you audio edit we upload like i talk to people i speak for maybe what 10 percent of an yeah. episode something yeah. very little and for the most part it's been about finding people who have amazing things to share right um i found a couple of things really surprising on that front i mean first of all just how good people are at talking, right? Like, and I, I say this like not in terms of like condescension. Like, we thought that both for myself, but also for our guests, we're gonna need to do a bunch of editing, a bunch of planning, and that really hasn't been the case. I mean, especially for the first semester, we would actually just get people. They would come in, and then we just start talking. Right. Like, like that's it. And people were coming out with like fully formed TED talk level insights Mm -hmm. just out of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. Which I could think like really backed up your thesis of people already have great stuff to share. Um, But yeah, I remember like, you know, being worried about it, especially because my voice was gone and then talking to Muhammad and then Anna and being like, oh, like it's better when I don't talk. (laughs) Like it's honestly better if I can just get the person talking and keep them talking. So that's been really gratifying. I've never once been worried going into an episode that I'm like, oh boy, I'm really going to have to guide this conversation because people just have been quite introspective about 
what they have experienced over the last year. Um, and they've been extremely good at articulating it, which was a joy to listen to, honestly. Um, the second bit was how easy it was to get people on the program. Yeah, like, I think yeah. we don't, I don't think we had a single person who like turned down our... There was one person, but it was specifically due to like company confidentiality right. issues. Yeah. Okay, but 26 out of 27 or something. Yeah. Like there was no person that we asked otherwise who wasn't immediately like, yeah, I would love to do this. When when can we book a time? Um, people were... Yeah, I mean, we tried to avoid doing it during like midterms and exams in time, so we would like load up early in the semester. But mm-hmm. that was kind of all. It, like, we did do it still in busy times of the semester. I think that's the thing though with podcasts is that what makes it really easy is because it's literally like we ask for a block of one to two hours of a person's time, and that's it. And then they just do it and are done with it. So it's a very, very limited amount of time for like the guests to do, which I think like favors something like this. Absolutely. Um. So, yeah, I guess probably worth elaborating on a bit like how do we actually think about who did we invite yeah who do we want to have on the show um and how do we like contact them and so on um like because we had that's that's probably a bulk of our like discussion around the podcast has been thinking about who do we want to have on next and what kind of stories do we want to share the show. yeah so I don't know what would, what would what would you say about that? I mean, early on, because we were we just wanted to see if we could do the thing at all. Mm-hmm. It was just people who we knew and people who we knew were passionate about their work, right? Like, like it was that. So like I'm really close friends with Muhammad, mm-hmm. and I know that Py was a really big deal for him. He put a lot of effort into it in third year, and he he like put a lot of thought into the application process, and he had some really like new experiences. Um, he was also somebody, because like I was not at all confident in my ability to interview somebody, um, I was like, I know I could talk to Muhammad, because I do it daily. Um, so that was that was why we grabbed him on. Um, so yeah, yeah like, like, I think our first five episodes were what? Muhammad, Anna, Deborah, uh, Deborah uh, David, Andrew? Andrew, yeah. Yeah. So like th- those, I think those were five people. I mean, I had never spoken to Anna or Deborah before, mm-hmm. um, but or I had spoken like once, but... Andrew, David, and Muhammad were all people who I knew to have like decently unique experiences, or and also uh, experiences in varied fields. There were people who I was confident could talk. I was confident they could talk about their fields. Really, right. that, that was it. So it, it was kind of a load management thing from there. Um, how did you? Because you were brought in Deborah and Anna. Right. Uh, what made you want to bring them in? Uh, for both of them, it was like I'd spoke to them a little bit about or just heard secondhand about their PYs. And it was mostly just about it sounded interesting. And I know both of them are like relatively easy to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mostly about that for the early episodes. I think it was just about trying to get like it was just off the top of my head. I could name maybe three to five people who I who I could think of that I want to have on probably more than that. Mm-hmm. But um I think as we went on, it became more, we're trying to get more of a breadth, more of, a, I think that was in general, one of the challenges all throughout the year was just because, breath. Br- yeah, because breaking out of like our immediate, like, I'm an one or an anxiety, d- it would be easy to get Indies and exercise. Yeah. And, and not just that, but even like people in other programs, but it just our one degree circle of connections or two degrees or, we yeah. know well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's still like we didn't fully succeed in, in breaking out of that because it's just very, very hard to really like by definition, it's harder to reach out to people that are just you don't even it, they effectively don't exist to people who are two two degrees of separation, three degrees of separation. You won't won't hear about them and you don't 
yeah, like I was, I was at one point literally considering just like picking a random name from the list of people who did POI, which somehow was like publicly available on Quirkus. Um, and because I wanted to just try to get some like completely random, and that was really like what, I, that's what I was kind of focusing on in choosing people was like really trying to get people further from people I knew further from like, yeah, avoid, avoiding my like closer circle because that's the easiest thing to sort of default to are, and, and even, and even in that we still had about, I think maybe half of the episodes were probably end size, uh, maybe, or a third no, or something it's, like that. It's, it's like 10. Yeah. So like a third, a third to a half. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, so let, let's, let's speak to that. So I think later on we were more successful in that. I mean, to like kind of be more concrete about it. Like we, one thing we did was we asked the people who were on the show, who you think would be cool to talk to on the show. Right. And that yielded some fantastic episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like, like our last two, like Karen and Romy, um, both came from that. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Like, who did you ask? Um, I I asked. Um, so I actually I asked Christine, who is somebody who watch who listens to the podcast. Like, who do you think would be cool to have on? And she was like, Oh, like Karen would be great. Um, uh, Olivia um, mentioned Romy mm-hmm. um, way back. Uh, I think like like Henry was somebody who you brought on, who is not somebody who you're like immediately super close with. But no, actually Henry was also it was like someone that I knew who actually wasn't able to make it at that particular day, and he suggested instead to talk to Henry, who was like a close friend of his. Yeah, so that's the second degree, yeah, second degree connection. There. Exactly. Um, and, and Henry was someone that neither of us had ever spoken to before, really. Nope. Um, um, and that was a fantastic episode. Yeah. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's not really a strong relationship between the episodes we feel best about and like how well we knew somebody. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, I think like like as as time went on, we kind of were able to branch out more easily. I think through our guests, mm-hmm. that was that was a cool thing uh, to have happened. Mm-hmm. Um. I think so. So in other terms of breadth, I think a couple of things we thought about were um breadth in like career, discipline, career and discipline. Let's talk about those first. Right. So. I mean, even on our first five, we we noticed that our first three were all like in tech, yeah. Like they were they were in the conventional tech, like software, right. like all the buzzwords tech, right? Um, and I mean, they were different. Like Muhammad was working as a developer at big companies. Uh, Anna was working as a like a product manager, which is something else. And Deb was like big into like machine learning, almost research level stuff in startups, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think to us too, because we have worked in tech, big quotes, um, sound different. But I think to most people in engineering, they hear that and they go, oh, programmers. Right. Like that's that's what that is. And they're not wrong. Yeah. Um, so once we kind of realized that, we were like, oh, it's very easy for us to keep talking to people who are in our industries, but we do want to represent as best as possible the breadth of what people do over, like out of engineering. Yeah. Another part of the challenge was sort of filtering for like, or correcting for like, uh, the idea of, you know, the, the, the first people that came to mind are people who in my mind had a quote unquote, like cool PY experience, more like exciting, whatever out there. People they who went got international, to people, yeah. they worked at brand name companies. Exactly. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and that in general, like it's, it was a difficult question for us to think about, like what do we want to highlight the average experience do you want to highlight the exceptional experience you want to do both um like how and to what like to what extent and so on because we don't want to necessarily also give the perception of like a wrong perception of 
what PUI is like. We don't want people to necessarily feel like if I'm not working at these great companies or these like big name companies, uh, I'm, I've failed in some way because, you know, we've heard of other, we've heard since then from a lot of other people worked at companies that, you know, we've never heard of before and industries that we never heard of before, um, that, that had amazing experiences that still like learned a ton that were right for them. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like what it seemed to come down to. And it was not just about And like in the most emphatic terms, it's not that they were like, Oh, like I got my second choice and I guess I made the most not like this this was something that was like deeply, deeply good for them. Like even in like last like second last episode, like talking to like Karen, she she was talking about how she like could not have loved her experience at Biblio Commons more. Or like Luke talking about his experience, how he like could not have liked it more. And that th- that was something where you're all like ah, but you'd probably rather be at Facebook, right? Like that's d- never yeah. got a, never got that sense. Yeah. Um, and that so so that was another thing to balance out, right? Yeah. I, actually, I remember like somebody um actually like coming up to me in the pit and being like, hey, so I haven't listened to the show, but which is a fun way to start criticism. Uh, I, I say that genuinely. Um, but he he, he said like. It, it feels like you are just, like, highlighting, like, people who would be in a U of T pamphlet. Right. And and we were like, look, like, we've got a bunch of episodes recorded that don't do that, but, like, f- fair point. And that's something we really need to be cautious about. Yeah, exactly. Because because it's also, like, those are also very much stories worth sharing and saying, like, there are those experiences for those people were really great. And yeah. it's, like, there are, there are things that a lot of people aspire to and are wanting. Like, it's, it's those... Those experiences, it's it's it was a difficult question to answer, really. Of like, do you want to highlight sort of the the most exceptional ones or the mo the, or the least exceptional ones? Um, and I think we tried to do a bit of both in general. Um, definitely. Uh, and yeah, that's 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 kind of that was, but that was that was definitely like a lot of the discussion about how we want to, who do we want to select to have on. Once we realized basically that. It's like whoever we ask, we can have on because it's because relatively low. About it. Yeah, they're enthusiastic about it. And it's a relatively like small ask for them. So once we realize that that was the case, it's kind of we have to. Then we have a little bit more responsibility because then we're kind of like the gatekeepers here. We're like the we're the ones who are choosing. It's not as much we're like begging people to come on and take whatever we can get. It's, yeah. Right. Like we're we're just selecting. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think the other like like ultimately the guiding word, especially in the second half of our episodes, was just different, right? Like who's different from whoever we've had on before? Because we pretty early on got one of every discipline. Like got you know yeah. like people who have been like at home abroad. Like all the big boxes were right. checked. Um, and then we started going okay. Like who had an experience that was just different from others, mm-hmm. right? Like say when we talked to like Oishi, that's an episode that a lot of people really enjoyed because we spent most of the time talking about neurotech and meditation um, right. because th- that's, he was working with uh, like Interaxon. He was working with a company that was focusing on tech for that. Um, you know, talking to people who were on rotational programs, like, so, so like say like Romy and Olivia, um, I mean, they're mineral engineers, but also just like, it's a completely different lifestyle. Um, and then talking to people who had experiences that it wasn't really even about work, like Karen being like fully like open about, um, wanting, you know, like, like getting through injury and like kind of like applying out of a place like where she wasn't like academically very strong. Yeah. Um, or, or, or completely rent like, like, uh, like Allison talking about her traveling or like Jen talking about her motorcycles and like, yeah, right. Just all these random, random other stories mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where we got into, I mean, like, like, like I'm talking to Rob, but like I wasn't like in, 
engineering. That wasn't even about like the engineering bit. It was about somebody who says, look, I'm in engineering, but I want to try professionally acting and dancing, like turning passion into profession. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, uh, so I think the code word there was different. And we kept on like looking for that and saying like, could we get a new perspective? Could we get a new perspective? Could we get a new perspective? Which is also somewhat like, if we're trying, that also goes again, it's, it's another way of answering that question of what are we trying to represent? Because that's also not necessarily, if you, if you listen to all of the episodes through, it also gives you some skewed perception of what PY is like, because you may be right. Because if we're really doing it, we should have, if we're really just, if we were to ask every single person in all of engineering who did their PY and we had, you know, 100% of the sample covered, then we would have a hundred episodes about from people who worked at Intel or Altera, like we'd have many, many dozens of these episodes. Would that would some, be, we that'd would be kind of the same. We would have 4,000 episodes from people who worked at AMD. Right. Like it's, uh, and I'm not sure how that would happen, but it would. Right. Um, and that's maybe, and that's maybe like there's depth to like explore there, but that's what we chose to not prioritize. But that's look, a, like. I'm okay with that choice. Yeah. We had 28 episodes and we decided to show the breadth of what, of mm-hmm. what existed. I think it's okay. I mean, not that one person's experience, like say for example, we talked to Danya, uh, like at AMD, um, that one person's experience uh, is not necessarily it's not representative. representative, but certainly, like, I think we'd rather just represent something completely different every time. Right. Um, so there was an interesting thing. We talked to Danya, uh, who was the only one T9 we spoke to who was still currently on PEY. And like that, her perspective really highlighted something. We spoke to people from September to May. Right. And when we when we spoke to Muhammad, for example, he was like, "Oh yeah, I remember about Py three weeks ago." Yeah. Right. Like that. That was the most recent thing. And then he was you know, speaking about like details and so on and so forth. And then when we talked to people in March, they. I mean, it's not that they didn't remember what happened. I mean, they do. But it's funny the different things that stand out. So what would you say? Was the evolution there? So or earlier, earlier on, people were talking about much more about the specific work that was done. Maybe we were asking more about it as well. But I think the more the focus was on the specific work that was done and on maybe like more like the interview process, like all that stuff was still fresher. It was still very much like on lock, especially for people who were applying to stuff in September. And that's right? very much what like, Danya was talking about as well. Right. Y- yes. Yes. Exactly. Like she was. She, like that was like a big focus for her because it was recent. Yeah. Um. But when we were talking to somebody in in March, like even I remember talking to Meraj, um, and him, a big focus for him was people, right? Right, and a big focus for a lot of others was um, the people who like they met, the interactions that they had, and a lot of like you know like here's what I liked about uh, the interactions I had, here's what I didn't like, um, but also the time they spent outside of work, right? That was really when we say what sticks out, you know, like we talked to Sarah, and Sarah goes like Muay Thai. Right. Like I tried Muay Thai um, and that was a, a core feature because at the end of the day work, I mean, it's not that it blends, but it kind of does blend the same way. Like when you look back at school, you're not going to be like, oh, that one assignment. Right. Right. Like it's, it's more like the things that are going to stick out are going to be the people. So that was a really um, cool transition that you can only really see when you look back at the totality of the 28 episodes. Right. So let's get into that tomorrow, but I guess like what, are some of the other kind of things that we saw over the course of that? Like what are other, what are other trends? What are other things that stuck out from, from doing 28 interviews? Yeah. I think we've said three or four different numbers of how many episodes we have also. It's between but 26 and 28. And that's we for leave sure. it to the viewers as yes. homework to figure it out. Um, so, okay. 
one, okay, so we kind of like as a structure for the show, we always start with, you know, how, like, why did you get into engineering? And then like, what did you get up to in your first few years? Um, which is again, very varied among all the people. Um, and then we get to, all right, what made you decide to go on PY and how did you go about getting a job? Mm-hmm. And that was where you, we kind of started seeing some patterns. So for most people, PY seemed like a foregone conclusion. Um, right. It, it really, for, well, let's talk about some of the reasons there, actually, because there were quite a few different reasons we heard, but there are some things that definitely I feel like heard, I heard coming up a lot. Like a really, really big one for people was separate from all the career stuff, separate from all that is just I was so tired of school after third year. We heard that many times. Like many, many times. Yeah. Uh, from from you know extremely keen students to to students who are struggling with school and getting by like all across that whole spectrum is everyone gets so feels so so a lot of people felt so so burnt out with school that like they really just up. any any kind of break that they could get even if it means you still have to do that school later it's just i need this break now third year especially th- second year third year are such difficult years yeah. um it's yeah it I mean, they're all difficult. But. That was big, and it's not the one you'd expect. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's not that it's PUI, it's that it's not school. Right. Um, yeah, there was that. I think there's, the, like, the also, you learn so much. Like, for a lot of people, they were like, I just wanted to try it. Like, like there, there was that big, and by it, they meant, like, they didn't quite know what they wanted to do, and this was an opportunity to try. I mean, another one was kind of more from a practical kind of job security perspective. Like, it seems like a lot of people got this advice where if you come out of school without internship experience it's tough it's a tough market um and that this is an opportunity for you to have that work experience on your resume so that was like the very practical point that a lot of people brought Mm -hmm. up that's what we didn't get to hear from people who didn't do py and ask them for their reasons why they didn't so we have a little bit of a skewed perspective there but i'd be like i'd be interested to hear what the reasons uh, for not doing it for them otherwise because we almost it almost feels like we're selling it a little too much when we hear only from people who did do it of course um, um, but it, it's it's a, it's a good point that there is a skewed perspective there um although i i will say i did expect some people to go like oh you know like i was considering it on and off like i don't remember a single person like that mm-hmm. as far as i remember everybody was just like oh like of course i was doing py let's talk about how right um yeah so speaking of which, let's talk about how. Right. Um, so in terms of the how to apply for jobs, I noticed a really strong um, split into kind of three ways. So the first one was for industries that have like a very like defined, almost mythologized application process. So I'm talking about um, software development, management consulting, like these kinds of things where there are books on how you prepare for these interviews. Right. Like really like that. And I mean, we heard from from Paul and Andrew and Muhammad, Muhammad yeah. and Henry um, on how they prepared for, for these things. Um, In very, very methodical Extremely way systematic. Yeah. Like yeah. It was, it was, you know, there was like whatever, there's the things you know, but there was like, oh, I drilled um, coding questions mm-hmm. regularly or I practiced case interview questions regularly and like I got references and I talked to so th- these are the people who figured out the game they recognize that it's not as simple as sending off an application there was a game to be played and they asked how they would win mm-hmm. so they that there was like a cool level of recognition that we saw there um the second one was the the, the I call it the spray and pray um which was basically just I'm going to send off a lot of applications and um, whoever like gets back to me, like that's who like, I'm going to do my best with my interview. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's a couple of people who fall, which I think is a kind of the standard, mm-hmm. the, the, the standard assumption. Um, and the especially third, through the portal, like the PY portal, just find every single job that matches your 
Because if you're just, I mean, that, that, that makes sense, especially when you're in the case of just, I want to get experience in this industry that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and you the PY portal is a very, very valuable resource for, I mean, if you're outside of, for me personally, I know how to look for jobs in tech outside of something like a PY portal. But if I'm, I have a lot harder time work looking for work in, in civil engineering and mechanical engineering and those kinds of things. And so the PUI portal is really like just find every single one that works, and I'm trying to get some experience in this field. Right. I'm trying to do anything get on more the towards the direction of where I'm trying to go with my degree. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people did. And um, I don't know, it was interesting. I was listening to a different podcast uh, or like earlier yesterday where the, the guy was making the case for, especially early on in your career, how you shouldn't be looking for the things that you're the most passionate about. You should be looking for the places where you can learn the most. Mm-hmm. And in that way, this makes total sense, right? You're like, look, I want to learn this. Let's not worry about which company it is right now, like unless they're like, antithetical to my values in some diametrically right. opposed way, right? right? It's, it's just let's find somebody who does what I do right. or what I want to do. Um, and then there was the third one, and I think this one is really worth talking about, which was kind of the interpersonal route, um, yeah. which which was, oh, like I, I talked to somebody who set me up with an interview that led to a job, or I met somebody at a party, or I reached out to somebody online, right? right? It shouldn't and, be surprising, but it was a surprising number of just how many people. It was maybe like half the people, honestly. It was so many. Yeah. I mean, from, from people who were very um, savvy and directed about it, like Deborah, yeah. who, like, who kind of launched like a full-scale email assault on yeah. the uh, places she wanted to work to like Luke who you know he was like in August he wasn't sure if he was coming back to school and I think he talked to somebody at a party and who set him up for this job which he like you know like the interviewed fine and then proceeded to have a fantastic PY right like that the, you know it, it's the reason why I want to emphasize this is because when especially when I heard this before I'm like okay that's not a scalable method like this is not something that happens for everybody this sounds like getting lucky Right, but then you know, if we've talked to, I mean, I'm going to say firmly, 28 people, mm-hmm. and then of them, you know, 12 to 14 say this is how I got my job. That sounds consistent to me. Right. Right. Like so, it, it really, really kind of opens opens the eyes to this being a very valid way of getting a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, the immediate word that comes to mind after that is networking, and then I throw up a little bit in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the kind of the, the takeaway is not so much about like networking; it's about making it known what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Like that was really it, right? Like sure, like Luke met this person at a party, but if Luke hadn't told him that he was looking for the like for a job and like who he was, then the guy might have well, well have liked Luke, but wouldn't have actually, um, you know, that wouldn't have resulted in anything, right? Um, yeah, so so it, it, it's a question of like, I mean, like put yourself out there as very generic advice, but people can only help you if they know what you want. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really like what comes out of that because most of us meet people, um, but it's a question of. You know, if everybody who met you knew what it is you wanted and what you were looking for, there's a lot of people who will be willing to help you out. Yeah. And I think it's also the another sort of surprising part of it is just how it's like it's really it feels like sort of chance encounters. It feels like always people you don't know particularly well, people that are just like random so and so that you met. But uh, as opposed to like, you know, your really, really close friends who can who can really who like will you know really try to do something for you if they can there's some of that but especially as students it's like they can we can only do so much in terms of referrals or whatever it's for the most part it's really about just this people don't even realize quite how like wide their actual networks are of just like the sheer number of people that you actually know at that level at a level like of 
how close Luke was with this person who he met at a party or higher. Like, yeah. you know, hundreds of people, even the, the least sociable people still know hundreds of people at that level, it feels like. Right. Or at, at bare minimum, the people they know know hundreds of people. And right. that's a big one. Right. Right. It's, it's kind of the second degree connection. I mean, um, yeah, there were quite a few of the people we talked to who ended up like getting jobs. Like, uh, I mean, like Medaj comes to mind. Um, who who got their jobs through just like people they knew or the people they who their people they knew knew mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. um but that and and yeah that seems pervasive it, it's a question of like asking for help because I, I i think like this will transition to something that a lot of people told us but we have this kind of very like direct input output feel from school where it's you you put in your assignment you receive a mark it really is. You put a thing out, you get a thing. Uh, you put a thing in, you get a thing out. And um, I think a lot of people, when they see a PUI portal, they treat it the same way, right? They treat it in terms of like, look, if I put in a good resume and cover letter, I will get out an interview, mm-hmm. right? And that's just not how a lot of the rest of the world works. Um, and it almost feels unmeritocratic, or it feels, you know, it feels off. Like it feels like you should be able to just work hard and like get a thing, but they're it's pretty clear that there seem to be like other ways to get, I mean, also like pretty interesting opportunities yeah. uh, that we, we, we heard about. Um, and it's a question of putting yourself out there. Um, speaking of which, like the, that point about um, asking for help, mm-hmm. that was something that was the most consistent. Um, what would I change or what would I do better when we ask people about that? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh so, Looking back on people's PY, it's a, it's a very very common thing about like how I think a I think a lot of people said and when they're talking about it sort of in a more positive way of like what was the most valuable part of their experience was like what they remember the most is often about like how supportive their coworkers were how helpful they were a lot of people especially for people where it's among their first job experiences like came in really really shy really really nervous about you know they're gonna think I'm stupid um, they and we found. Honestly, a surprising number of people whose employers didn't even know that they were interns when they were leaving, or like, or if yeah, not we their employers. That four or five times. Yeah, which is surprising. It's like, it's, I mean, I don't know, you can make of that like what you will, but um, not necessarily whether it's a good thing that you should hide that or not, but just like the fact that actually people generally seem to not think you're stupid, even when people felt like they came in unprepared relatively, like they came in having to still learn a ton on the job. Mm-hmm. everyone from the start of their PUI to the end of their PUI felt massively more comfortable working on their stuff, but they still, even from the start, like I would say people didn't really get perceived as stupid or as, or as anything. So that's the hard part. However, like with, when it comes to, cause this is advice that everyone's heard before that I've heard that I've heard at every single like first day of every job that I've gotten of like, we really want you to ask questions. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to do all this stuff, but it's really, it's difficult to actually take that and put that in practice um, as much as you want to, because I'm sure that there are people who listen to this now and will go on their POIs and then think about it and looking back on it, they'll still wish that they'd ask more questions or whatever. Right. And even if they come in on the first day, like, you know, I'm, they're not going to think I'm stupid. They're not going to think I'm stupid. It's, it's, I found I'm still constantly trying to find that balance of like, what's the, what's the, what's the appropriate, what's the appropriate way to do it? What exactly, like, which questions I should be asking and when and of who. Um, 
And maybe the answer is just yes to all of them. <laughs> like, I mean, so one great piece of advice I was given like when working at TPG was, we'll tell you if you're annoying. Like, genuinely, like, what are they going to do? Fire you for asking too many questions? Like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, if they say, like, hey, you should be figuring some of this stuff out on your own, great. Then you'll start figuring it out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, not, that's not failure. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, what's failure is slaving away something for three days that a more experienced person could have helped you with in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, that's stupid. Or for, or for four months, it's something that you don't want to be doing either. Like, uh, yeah, that, 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 that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, and you know, again, as you said, much easier said than done. Um, but it, it almost feels like something that should become a habit. Like regardless of whether or not like you're having like an, Oh, I get everything and I'm confident day. Just like you go and you ask somebody something. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and that becomes, um, something you do. Um, the other point is that it builds a strong relationship with coworkers, which was kind of the second, the second piece that we heard from a lot of people, which was, I wish I had met more people. I wish I had put myself out there within my company more. Mm-hmm. Like that, those were two that like looking back, that's what they yeah. wish they were Independent doing. Independent of the size of the company, the type of the company, all of yep. those things. Yeah. Yep. That, that, that's, that's what they heard. I mean, when they were at a big company, they were like, I wish I had explored other departments. I wish I had done all of that. And when they were at a smaller company, they, a lot of people talked about how, you know, later on in their time at the company, they started taking on these initiatives, um, where, where, you know, they were really influential because they were whatever, one person in a 20 person company. Um, and then they were like, Oh, I could have done that more. I could have done that from very early on. But I think we, because we don't get comfortable until a while in, we don't get comfortable doing our actual jobs. We feel like just, just shut up and do your job. Um, when looking back, you go, Oh no, I totally could have done this other stuff at the mm-hmm. company and gotten more out of it and met more people. Which, again, easier said than done, but I think it's worth noting that across the board, this is the most common, I mean, not regret, but thing they would change. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it was interesting that it was that consistent. Right. Yeah. So, any, let's, so what, else, what, else, what else stuck out from people in terms of what they, what they, about their work experience? I think another one that's probably, that seemed to be pretty common to me was just about, we asked people a lot to what extent did they feel prepared for their work given... Mm-hmm from their school, how much did their schoolwork prepare them versus how much did other stuff prepare them or previous work experience and stuff. I think a lot of people felt pretty unprepared coming in, honestly. Yeah. Like they maybe had some of the skills, but it's like they mostly didn't get that from school or if they did, the the stuff they got from school is kind of foundational stuff and not the core specifics of what they were doing. I mean, yeah, there was, I don't remember a single person who enthusiastically said, oh yeah, most of what I did, I learned at school. Right. The, oh, so few people. Right. I mean... I think the closest were the people who were deep into programming and they were like, yeah, I programmed at school. But that was, but that those was, are also people who mostly did that outside of school as well. Uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's like, I, like, you know, you hear that you learn on the job, but you really learn on the job. Like that, that's, that's true across the board. Um, so it, it, it's almost kind of brings it back to the point of like, especially people who said like, you know, I was surprised I got this job kind of like what they demonstrate isn't their current knowledge it's about do they think like oh yeah this person could learn right right like like that's that that's the big thing that you're showing which interestingly enough is probably the most important thing engineering teaches uh beyond any one particular skill it's the fact that you can learn stuff you often force yourself to learn it quickly Mm -hmm. and that is you know something that if you demonstrate you are you become more valuable right because what you know right now is very likely not going to be you know that, that that important Actually, I, I want I want to tell a story that I, I don't think I, I got to um, at like the, when we talked about my PY experience. Um, 
w- the first job I had was with um, with with Arup, um, which and I was on an airport consulting team. That was like after second year. That's where I was working. I'm an industrial engineer. I don't know anything about airports, right? Um, so when I started on that job, I asked like, "Hey, do you guys usually have interns?" They go, "No, um, we had one before. He was uh, he was like an aerospace engineering student, and uh, we let him go uh, because he. I mean, he, like it turns out the stuff you learn at school irrelevant, mm-hmm. um, and that and that kind of struck me because I it also made me both you know scared because they let people go, um, but also. Um, you know, a little bit more confident because it turns out that it really, I'm not missing prior knowledge. Right. It really is just me. Right. Uh, So as in you would be no less prepared than your zero that you were at if you had been in aerospace engineering. Exactly. Yeah. Which really does call into question the whole, what are we doing at school bit? Um, but that's a whole separate discussion. It it, it, it really is. Um, but, but, but there, like, there is something there. I think most people are prepared for most things. Right. Um, especially, you know, when in the context of engineering professional experience here, placements. Right. Uh, Let's talk about some of the kind of challenges, the difficulties, and like the low points that, that people had if about some patterns there. Because sure. I think it is a thing that came up a lot, and I don't want to, I want to avoid getting caught into get too much kind of like blending it up rainbows and flowers talk about how great everything was for people because there were a lot of there were some hard times that people had i think like where even start i mean some people shared uh some pretty difficult experiences with like negotiating with companies and Mm -hmm. like having the companies fight back and like rescind offers Mm -hmm. which is pretty scary um those people were pretty like i'm thinking about olivia i think there was maybe one other example like this too Mm -hmm. um and people, yeah, those people in general didn't completely like fall flat on their face after that. They they were in a relatively end up still being in a good position, like finding some other stuff. But that was a difficult thing. Um, it's hard to like, I think probably worth listening to those episodes for more details on like how exactly they kind of went about going through that. Um, I don't know what else. I think a lot of people talked about burnout. Yeah. Um, and they talked about, I mean, this is bringing back to the previous point of people wanting to do anything to get away from school for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, they come to work and they realize that they're still just burnt out. Like they aren't performing at their best. Um, and also just during work, especially if people's jobs are quite demanding, if it's not a nine to five, if it's something where you're really like clocking. Right. Um, yeah, the fact that burnout is not just something that happens at school. Um, right. That was that was an interesting point because I think a lot of the way that people portray PEY, especially at least the way they did for me before I went It's almost like PY, vacation. Like Oh, yeah, they were like, oh, it's awesome. It's like 9 to 5, and then you just have so much time, and you have money. Yeah. Um, and it's so nice. But it's like, no, work can be stressful. Because, okay, just to be to be frank and honest, um, we talk about, you know, 9 to 5, that's only 8 hours of work. Most people don't do 8 hours of work in a row at school like that's yeah. just not something that happens you, you probably do work over a longer spectrum of time on a daily basis but you and but like at work it's not that you just need to exist there from nine to five mm-hmm. and then you leave and then you're done it's you need to do work from nine to five now maybe you do six hours of work in those eight hours but you still need to do it quite consistently mm-hmm. now, i think the other bit is the i think a couple of people mentioned this the kind of interpersonal load of work which is that at school, you more or less can be, like, yourself, right? Like, I mean, like, to varying degrees, but 
nobody's looking at you and like judging you on your the way you present for for the most part i mean you can also just stay at home like you have all these options versus at work i mean like the hard bit is like if you have a hard day i mean you you show up to work for the most part and that's that's a lot of the contributor to burnout that people talked about how like it it drags on and on right um so yeah there were a couple of those things and i think some of it just is the fact that most people haven't worked before so it's new Right. At least for extended periods like this, for sure. I mean, we did find a lot of people did have some sort of like internship or summer thing or volunteering even or something sure. like that. But but like a, a year of working somewhere, it's, it's it's a different thing where it really the end is not necessarily in sight immediately. And it's yeah, I mean, it's a this is an interesting point. Most people haven't. First of all, this is the longest time almost all of us have ever had away from school since starting school just flat out. Yeah. Um, and unless you took a gap year or something. And the second bit is, you know, especially once university comes around, you never are really focused on something for more than four months. Yeah. I mean, like club stuff and whatnot, but that's not something you're doing like eight hours a day, mm-hmm. right? Like things are constantly changing and you never have to be focused on something for longer than that. And along comes this thing where you're doing it for 40 hours a week plus mm-hmm. for 12 months, like that's something where like that's sustained intention. Right. Um, and the steady work pace is something that I think a lot of people aren't used to. I know I wasn't, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's, I mean, the flow of a university semester is, you know, it starts easy and then, whoa, midterms, and then it goes back down and then right. it goes, whoa, exams, yeah. and then you rest and then you go again. So right. it's really like polyphasic um, versus with, with work. I mean, you just, you need to be performing at a certain kind of level day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And that that's new. I think unless you are able to set up a steady routine and life for yourself that can definitely burn you out. Right. So what do you think, like, I guess in terms of how people kind of, what they turn to in, in, um, in times like that, like what did they, what did they go to for like mm-hmm. relief or for, or for, I think the main things we saw, honestly, for a lot of people, uh, friends from work, but also still keeping in touch with friends from school was, was like, like a very big grounding thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, for yeah for many many people even if they were like away or out of the country or something just being able to like check in on their friends and be like hey how's your py going um stuff like that or or if their friends are still in school asking how their school's going and stuff like that just some little bit of like grounding to 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 take you outside because just workplace friends even if you're close friends with them it's like you need something from outside of that world your friends or family or whatever i think that was definitely a thing that was important for a lot of people that came up yeah, and kind of like the taking for granted of like the default social interaction of school, where you're just going to see your friends. They're going to be around in the, in the pit. They're going to be in class. They're yeah. going to be wherever it is. You, like, in that club you are part of, whatever the case may be, versus, you know, it, unless you make time to go meet up with your friends, you, you're not going to meet up with your friends. Um, there was the other piece about, uh, there was the other piece about just extracurricular activities, right? And, and having something to put your effort into and put like passion into outside of. Yeah. Uh, Tons work. of people picked up like new hobbies and things like that. Things yeah. that like surprise them. And, and I think like the novelty of that is something that helps a lot because work can be monotonous. Um, and you know, there's, there's that bit. Um, and finally this idea of if you're consistently bored with work, you do something about it. Right. And, and that, you know, and that can seem like a really tough thing to ask for because you know, like, like the response you feel like is going to be, do your job, like, right. like like this is what we asked you to do. You should do it. But 
pretty much every time we've talked to somebody who walked up to their manager or walked up to somebody and said, hey, I'm, I want to be doing more of this thing or how can I help out more with something else or like, you know, I'm not entirely happy with the work I'm doing. The results have been favorable. Right. The results have been like, oh, cool. Yeah, we'll put you on that project. Right. We'll, we'll like get you involved in that. Um, so it's a question of, of like, if you think that your burnout is because of the specific kind of work you're doing and you'd like to be doing something else, especially, so I mean, this also applies to companies of all sizes because in a big company, there are other departments that would like you know, have other projects. And in a small company, they will take help with anything that right. they can get. Right. But we heard from and, 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 and we even heard from people who like left the companies that they're at. Like Abe, you know, he had he had some period like a few months into the into the work that he just wasn't it just wasn't feeling right for him. He didn't feel like this is what he wanted to be mm-hmm. doing for the whole year. And and he and he quit that job and found a new one. And like yeah. is so so happy as a result like is is it's and and we had we heard from other people who who left their respective companies i think i can't think of others off the top of my head but mm-hmm. um i mean even myself in my case i wasn't necessarily so unhappy at my company but i wanted to find some change and did find something else for those remaining four months Absolutely. honestly yeah that that was that was a big thing i mean it feels really really scary at the time being like i'm gonna leave this company what am i gonna do what if i don't find something and so on um, but you know, like Abe gave himself like a deadline. He's like, I got to find, if I don't find something in so, so and so many days, I'm going to go back home and that's not the end of the world. And I've kind of had the same sort of mentality with my case too. And I was like, okay, that we were able to find something before that time came. But even if we hadn't like go back to school, you can go home and hang out for a bit. It's like, you're not getting a ton out of sticking, sticking through it necessarily. And like, if it's really something that's going on for like several months and, and all that, um, the PY office itself can be hit or miss for people in terms of like getting help for, for those kinds of things. But it's really, it's, you have to, it's, it's a thing you kind of have to, you know, you know it from within sometimes when it's like, if it's right for you or not. And mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't take 12 months to figure that out. Sometimes for a lot of people, like in Abe's case, he felt, he felt that way relatively quickly. He knew almost yep. right away. And it's, if it if if that's how you feel already three months in four months in like there are there are things you can do about it i think that's the thing i would want to kind of stress um because it it, 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 it did come up a few it did come up a few times yep um what's something weird that you now notice or something that you've got had to pay more attention to from based on like working on this podcast hmm that's a funny one uh let me think about that for a bit i mean there's there's like producer stuff like let's talk about producer stuff like i when i hear people on the podcast laughing i'm like less happy about that (laughs) because (laughs) because it's like it's just an especially like loud thing and it's like okay i need to go like edit that quieter a little bit Mm -hmm. later on so i'm always so i kind of turn into like a little bit of a grinch when i'm like (laughs) when i'm like on the on the producing side um and yeah, little things like that. I'm like, please don't fiddle with your phone. Please don't whatever, mm-hmm. like hit the table and stuff like that. Um, those are, but those are like, those are producer things. I mean, in terms of uh, how people actually, you know, what people are actually saying, that's a, that's a, that's a separate thing. Uh, I'll need to think about that. I mean, there was one that you mentioned at some point about very specific verbal tics. Right. That you notice people have. I mean, especially me, because you've been editing 28 episodes of me. Um, right. But... But you have a very particular way of very specific thing the person says or like or the way they breathe or right, not right, right. that you only get because you've listened, listened to. to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's 
there's a specific thing of like whatever after a long long question being asked or long 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 answer being given the like instinctive response as a as an interviewer is just is like nice yeah next question that's my (laughs) Um, default nice or gotcha yeah well actually i want to ask about like so because you're not you've never really done a ton of like interviewing people before this you do i mean you have like tons of long conversations with people that can feel like interviews sometimes maybe but um Mm -hmm. like how did you what, what what were some of the hard parts about that for you to like figure out did you like you know did you have any like interviewer role models that you looked at like <laughs> Jimmy Fallon or whatever or like did you did you kind of come up with your own sort of style oh I, I hope I don't come off as Jimmy Fallon I mean it's it's I mean, like, unbe- I'm not saying you do. unbeknownst to everybody on this podcast I am bursting laughing and slapping the table outside hey, of, I just edit all of that out. yeah yeah Arcadi is an editing genius I I also play word games with my guests so we just haven't ever had a successful one I also write fun raps uh, so uh, I also throw to the roots every once in a while um, but uh, I mean were there specific interview role models who I looked to emulate no are there people who I think are fantastic interviewers yeah I mean I think Stephen Colbert is a fantastic interviewer I've, I've watched him a bunch I there's a guy named James Lipton who does this thing called inside the actor studio where he does like life stories with like Hollywood legends um, and he, but he's I mean I am not him because he is like a classy like chocolatey voiced man how about like podcast podcast hosts um I mean the only one that I've listened to a lot that does interviewing is Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. and maybe that that has seeped in a little bit. So for context, Tim Ferriss does a lot of like self-hacking, like self-improvement type stuff. Uh, he talks to people who have had really interesting life stories. And he, he's got, I think one thing I took from him was there were, you know, his conversations are usually quite freeform, um, except there are specific things he has at the beginning and at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, especially like very early on, we adopted that kind of structure where, right. you know, we had the consistent intro and then I knew at the beginning of the episode and I told the guests that we would always ask what got them into, like what got them into engineering and, um, what were they up to the first few years and then, um, get to PY, how they got their job. And from there it's freeform. Yeah. Um, and then at the end I was going to ask what yeah. was, you know, like what was something you would change? Right. Um, but everything in between was entirely about them. Right. Um, I think the other thing that I took, not so much from interviewing, but from just conversations I've had, is that conversations are best when we're talking about something the other person is interested in. It was best to go in without an agenda because the best conversation was going to be the one about the thing that the person across from me is extremely passionate about. Right. Um, so, yeah. I think the other thing is I'm, I've been told sarcastically that I'm easy to talk to because you don't got to talk much. Um, cause I talk a lot and that was something I was, I think maybe overly conscious of at the beginning. Right. I was trying to stay out of the way as much as possible. I really thought, you know, this is, this is not that thing I did for a year with Ilya Cranin, that this is mm-hmm. not, it's not even like my podcast. Like this is about showcasing other people and it's about putting them into the best light possible. Like how can I make this person sound awesome? How can I make them be talking about what they're passionate about? And that was kind of my focus. So it was really about, you know, being in the moment for an hour 
and uh, focusing on what the other person is saying um, and really focusing, right? Because it's one thing if they just ask a question and the entire time I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask this next. And at the end of what they say, I'm going to go, gotcha, moving on. Right. Um, that's not going to make for that good a conversation. But if I'm really listening to it and I'm digging in to what they're saying, I think not only does the guest respond by being like, oh, this person is really listening. Let's mm -hmm. talk about it. Um, they also, they also, we have more unique conversations. But the final bit is, I read like, and one of the reasons why we did very little video was I wanted the guest to forget that it was a podcast as soon as possible. That was something where I thought the best interviews I've ever watched were the ones where it felt like a conversation. Right. Um, and I mean, this is why I not like look down on Jimmy Fallon, but one of the reasons why I like cringe at that a little bit because the talking points on that show are incredibly clear. Like it's very, it's for sure you're gonna ask them about this fun story that you heard about them, and that's going to be it, right? Right. Like, like it's when you start the interview with seen any animals lately, right? Like you, you know that this was like a huge plant, right? Um, and I, I think that because the people I'm talking to are not, you know, trained actors except for Robert Pozaki, um, I, I didn't want to put them in that position. Um, it's very easy to forget that a podcast is a pot is is recorded when once you start getting into it especially because we lower the mics so that we can make eye contact and whatnot mm -hmm. and the mics are pretty good at picking things up it really does start feeling like a conversation yeah and that's feedback that we've heard a few times it's like usually the reaction when we stop recording is like whoa that was a whole hour like i you don't feel like you're mm -hmm. like that's i don't think any actor if they did an hour-long continuous take would feel that way if they're in front of a camera for a whole hour they'd be they like would know it's like yeah this was intense this like, was an hour yeah yeah was, yeah um, I, I think the other one, and this is something I, you know, these are the things I think I got better at over time, I hope, um, was one, being able to change my interviewing style depending on the guest. Mm -hmm. So, and this is something I saw early on, but my first two with Muhammad and Anna, because like they, they speak in like Ted talk ready bits. They're just amazing like that. Um, I was just like, you know, what was your experience like applying for a job? It's like value. And then like next, and then they go in their answer and the next thing value uh, versus, versus the first one. Like I talked to Deborah and Deborah I'd never spoken to before. And I remember doing the intro for the show and she was like, okay, Tony Robbins. Right. And that right. was, I was like, oh, okay, this is a different kind of interview. Like she just roasted me within the first, I don't know, two minutes of us being on there. Like she just refused to take any part of it seriously in the best possible way. Right. Um, right. And I was like, okay, that one's different. Right. Um, and, but then growing from there, I think one thing to modulate was some people need more prompting. Some people need less prompting. Right. Again, some people speak in sermons. Some people need a little bit of like, like you know, like prodding. And some people, I remember like talking to Allison about this and she was like, yeah, I'm not going to speak for long periods of time. Like, can we please make this a back and forth conversation? Um, and that was one where I would, you know, like quip or I would just like make jokes about what she said just to make sure that she doesn't have to talk for five minutes on end. Um, the other bit was making it more of a conversation because some of the feedback like I got as I talked to people just like on the streets uh, was where are you in these conversations, right? right? Like you're guiding them, but what, like what was your opinion and whatnot? And I always felt uncomfortable sticking that in because I didn't think it was about me. Right. Um, but then, you know, like providing some color commentary for stuff um, was really, was, was really something I had to like learn over time. Um, just, uh, in two ways. Number one, just being like, oh, I also had that experience and kind of doing the normal conversation thing that you would normally do, being like, oh, me too. Um, but the second bit is um, technical terms and mm -hmm. clarifying technical terms. 
which I think is maybe worth talking about on its own. Yeah. One episode that stands out is Olivia's. <laughs> when we so Olivia was as a mineral engineer. And um, we we were talking about it. She was saying something like, "Yeah, so we, you know, when we were looking at the stope, uh, and then she just moved on." I was like, "Wait, wait, what's a stope?" And she kind of looks at me like I have three eyes and goes, <laughs> "Do you, you don't know what a stope is?" And it turns out the stope is the most basic thing in mineral engineering. Right. It's like the earth you're prospecting. It right. is. It's just like the most basic, like, concept. Right. And across all of the industry, like there are terms like that in tech, probably that that are, right. that we take for granted. That's just yeah. Absolutely, and and yeah, and, and if somebody goes like, yeah, so I was doing reinforcement learning. Pause. What what is that? Right. What is the sorcery you're speaking about? Right. Um, and really, kind of being cognizant of the fact that the audience is maybe not in the same place as the interviewer. Um, and I I think that this was like lost on me in my first three episodes because they were about tech and they were something that I was more comfortable with. But I think you know, when first talking to David, for example, or when he was talking about. Um, engineers without borders and like doing structural engineering at IBI that was that I know nothing I know nothing about these things um, and so I was in a p- perfect position as almost as a member of the audience to advocate for you know the clarification of technical terms mm-hmm. um, yeah I think the last thing I want to talk about is like live episodes and a couple of like those out of podcast things we did like, what did you think of those? Like, I guess just right. like, what do we do? And what did you think? Of yeah, that? so we did a couple. I guess there was the there was the panel discussion that we did with me, you, Deborah, and Milan, mm-hmm. uh, and there was live episode with Shivani. Was there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are fun to do because that felt like super podcasty. That's like right. We're like, oh, we're like a big time. Like, podcast. I feel we like yeah, yeah. Like next year we're good. We'd be at you know, South by Southwest or something like <laughs> Comic Con, like uh, one of those things where, but um, those are fun because it feels like you can just, you don't, you, you don't feel like, and you always, I always worry a little bit of like, what if nobody's listening to this and stuff? Like what is, even though we have some numbers that we can know, it's like, what if not as many people listen to this or people get bored of this one where it's like when people are actually there, it's like they're, I can see them listening. Um, uh-huh. It's, it's, that's, that's a thing. Um, what else? I mean, there are all sorts of like the technical challenges with making a live show are a lot more difficult. You have a lot like you're in a you're more in a setup. Both of those were in setups outside of our like normal one and not in a room like Erskine. Yeah. yeah. And they're both a lot more a lot more challenging to just on the on the technical side took quite a lot more preparation and like trying to get things right. And during, for example, during that first one, the panel discussion, uh, we had like a mic that broke during like halfway through and we had luckily had some like backup audio recording thing, but, um, from a phone. exactly. Yeah. From a phone. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was, those are, those are kind of the biggest things that stuck out to me for doing live shows. But I think they're, they're a fun thing. I would want to do them more. I, I think it's a good way for the podcast to like try to try to grow its reach. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hard to promote. Um, they're hard to like really get people to come out to, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, and because people are kind of like, I don't really know even like cause podcasts are still qu- not quite yet, like fully in the mainstream, I think. Um, and so people are like, what even, why is it live? What is going on? Yeah, but yeah. Um, I think that's, 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 it's, it, but it's, it, but it was, yeah, it was a fun thing to do. I don't know. Do you have any? It was cool. No, I, <laughs> I remember like after we did the first kind of 14, after we did the first semester, we were like, okay, second semester, let's, because we're only going to be doing this for one more semester, let's do all of the podcast things. Right. Let's do all of the things that we would want to do if we had a podcast, which we do. Mm-hmm. So the live show with Shivani was, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had it in the pit and that was something that was really fun and something that we were like, yes, cross that off the list. 
Um, I think um, another one was like shout out another organization and we shouted out like a gift for education, um, which is something that is like run by Jesse, who's like a graduating um, industrial engineering student. And um, it, it's just like a nonprofit that she runs that does like really cool work. Um, and that, that felt very podcasty. Um, I think the, the only one that we didn't really get on our list was collaborate with another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, for a couple of reasons, like we, we saw one at Western that d- did something similar. It was called Operation Internship. Mm-hmm. Um, it was shorter, m- much more produced, um, and host centric. Um, but, um, but, but we, we ended up doing, uh, we, you know, that one ended up being over, so like we couldn't really collaborate with them. And there were only a couple that had just recently started at U of T. Um, so we, we, I guess like we didn't push for it that hard. Um, but that was the only one that I thought we, we missed. Everything else I'm like perfectly happy with. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a cool year to look back on. I feel like just the strongest impression I have is the same one we had at the beginning, which is people do amazing stuff. Like it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't about like, oh, this was a cool first dip into engineering and like this was fun. I'm looking forward to the rest of my life. Yeah. It was, it was really like the people I listened to, I'm like, like, goddamn, like you are very cool and I want to be like you when I grow up. Uh, with, with most of the people we talked to. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was awesome. And I, I don't think the people saw themselves that way. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think it's important to capture stories ultimately. Um, because this is something that will be very hard for the university to do. Um, they inherently polish things up, but also it's, you know, when an adult quote unquote asks you about, you know, what you've been up to, you kind of immediately like LinkedInify it. Like it's, it's like that fancy poo meme that's been around of late where like the fancy Winnie the Pooh, fancy Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Not fancy shit. Um, but fancy Winnie the Pooh, um, where, you know, there's the way you'd say it and then the way you put on a suit, put on nice eyebrows and then you say it. Um, so it, it almost feels like that. And we get kind of like the first Winnie. Right. Um, not oh, man. That's going to be in two weeks. No one's going to understand what that, that was. That's fine. That's fine. This is a dated meme. You know right. what I mean? Like, this is going to be an artifact. Right. With an e. Right. Um, but <laughs> I like to think that Winnie the Winnie the Pooh memes are going to have a three week lifespan. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And then after that, they're gone. They're gone. Uh, they're gone out of here. Right. Um, but, but, but yeah, that was, that was the strongest impression I got. Like, I was genuinely inspired by the people I like got to sit across from. Um, yeah. Uh, there was that. The, the other bit is, and um, just having people walk up and say, like, I love your podcast, that was that was really rewarding, but it was also surprising every single time. Because for us, this is just sitting in a room, talking to somebody, and uploading it. Like, yeah. That's what it is. And some numbers where we see, like, uh, 300 people mm-hmm. viewed this podcast or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. But, uh, yeah, the fact that this is, like, a real person who likes it enough to tell you that they liked it is is always surprising yeah yeah because you it's not like i saw you at the show right right it was it was that they just like walked up i think the other thing is we really underestimated how many unique people have watched some of the episodes because i think there's very few people who religiously listen to that thing i did for a year yeah because that's not entirely that's because because of the whole range it's like that's not how it's necessarily meant to be listened to like because you know it's we don't expect it as much to be super interesting to people from entirely different fields, unless they're just have some particular interest for someone from mechanical engineering to necessarily want to hear about mineral engineering or about tech or sure. whatever. But we found, we wanted to find, have 
that there be something there for everyone kind of like that's yeah. that's more what we what we are going for rather than everything there for someone right and we ended up like what with an average of like like 200 listens an episode something like that mm-hmm. and that but the thing is like if a if a small portion of people represent people who listen to most or all of the episodes like even if that's i'd be surprised if it's 40 people um which leaves you with a whole lot of unique visitors right it leaves you with a whole lot of people who have listened to at least one or two episodes so i think in that way we were initially like okay we've got like a small audience but because we have no visibility right we don't know how many of those people are returning people we just don't have the data on it i think a lot of it is because the listenership for podcasts is split across so many apps and whatnot and there's no it's real tracking. a lot harder to track yeah it's real hard to track yeah like we don't have like kind of like the big tech advantage of like we know everything about yeah we're not apps. running any a b tests and uh, yeah nothing we know nothing um so so like we underestimated how many unique listeners there were right um which was you know which is is rewarding right i, I think I, this is one of the reasons why like i think we both like this thing to continue on because there are so many stories to share and it's not just like, oh, programming. It's like I, I personally know like six, seven people who are coming off of PUI who I would love to talk to. Right. Who did things that were different and things that people are worth hearing about. Um, the other point is like there are two different kinds of audiences for us, right? Like there's the people who are like up and coming and they want to hear about what they could do. And then there's the peers who are already coming off of PUI and they want to um, kind of share the stories. Right. And... You know, constantly adding to the catalog of things that could be done is, I think, very, very valuable. Um, but it, there will, there is always value in sharing even similar stories, but for people who are relevant to the current fourth year. Right, because it makes you reflect on your own experience. Right. And, yeah. This isn't like some old people who did some stuff. This is that dude you see in class or like that girl who is in the same club as you. Right. Right. Like that's, that's who these people are. Um and it's cool that they just they've done enough things even in just the last year to gamely fill an hour long interview with just really like valuable and fun stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's cool that like that's not just the property of like super famous interesting people that that's entirely just the people like you and the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's been a really cool thing to realize. Right. Yeah. Um so I guess to that point uh we Again, really want to continue this thing for next year. So if you're interested in, like, uh, you know, being a part of that, either on the, like, interviewing side or on the production side or, you know, there's so many ways it could grow on the marketing side and so on and so forth. Um, if you're interested in being involved in this project, um, fill out the form because we would love to hand it off. And, I mean, we will still be, you know, like, ar- like around to transition things, to, like, help you get off the ground. And I mean, I think a small pitch for this. The two of us have, I think, done a game job of, you know, making a show and of, you know, interviewing lots of people and getting pretty decent at that and getting pretty decent at sharing stories and recording stories. But there's so many places this thing could grow, right? Even from a marketing perspective, from the point of like increased collaborations with other, um, like with the faculty and with other teams on campus, um, with, you know, more live shows, with... Um, just there's so many, and I mean, these are other, just other that, subjects besides just PUI. Like there's plenty of, there's plenty of other stuff and school related absolutely. podcasts that at, I think would be valuable at for the people. end of the day, it's about sharing the stories of the people in our community. And there are just so many places that that could go. I mean, these are just the ones that we thought of, right? Like there's, we're, there are going to be so many things that whoever takes us on are going to do with it. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, I think we're gonna leave it at that. Yeah. So, this has been that thing that we did for a year. Boom. <laughs> and yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us, and we'll see you. We'll see you around. Around. Take care. Bye.